turn to John chapter 19, please. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, our text this morning is going to be through verse 16. We'll see if we get all the way through that today. But let's begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 16. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Now, I like history and I like archaeology. And it really fascinates me whenever uh, archaeologists uncover, you know, ruins or new things that that really relate to history. That that sort of stuff fascinates me. And archaeologists have uncovered a lot of things about the culture, the Roman culture, the Greek culture, and so on. One thing about the Greek culture was that they were very much into um, uh, dramas and plays. And you see the ruins of, of ancient amphitheaters, you know, all over uh, that part of the world. And I always am fascinated when I see those things. But that was part of their culture. And archaeologists have uncovered a lot about what it was like and, and what they have found is that whenever there was some sort of a play or some sort of a drama, they would always have some sort of a bulletin, if you will, or some sort of a you know, uh, brochure or whatever that, 
that like we often do today when you go to a, a play or you go to a, you know a concert they have a, a a bulletin or a handout that tells you uh what the order of the the program is and who the the instrumentalists or musicians are or who the actors are and so on we have all of that today well they had that back then and in the introduction to a greek play uh, archaeologists have found these in history and there was always a heading and there was always an introduction to a Greek play. And there was always this phrase at the top of that program. And it said this, dramatis personae. And the phrase means people of the drama. And under that heading, under that phrase, then there was a list of choruses. There was a list of characters. There was a list of the groups of people in that drama. And... I was thinking about that or along that line as I read this passage of Scripture from chapter 18 going on into all through chapter 19 and so on. It's almost like this drama is unfolding before us. And we've been in John chapter, uh, uh, the, the gospel of John for quite some time. It's been a little while since we were here. We took a break for Christmas and all of those things. But we started back in chapter 18 with the trial, the mock trial, the kangaroo court of Jesus Christ when he was arrested and when he was tried. And this has been playing out now all the way into chapter 19. And as the story of Christ's trial continues, we really find ourselves facing a dramatis personae uh, uh, that, that really would have made a Greek playwright envious. You can't make these things up. There's a lot of characters involved here. First of all, we see the religious leaders involved here in what we've read this morning. And the religious leaders are, are characters in this drama that, that are, are really aggressive. But the thing about them is that these people are so blinded by their hatred for Jesus that they cannot see the deathly inconsistencies of their own lives. They were, these people were so scrupulous about the smallest of religious details that they wouldn't even defile themselves by entering into the judgment hall. Go back to chapter 18 and look at verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. The Passover was coming, and they didn't want to defile themselves. They wouldn't even go into the judgment hall. They were so scrupulous about the smallest of these details, and yet they were all conspiring together and unified together to convince or trap Pilate to basically commit judicial murder for them. What a bunch of hypocrites. So blinded by the hatred of Jesus, they couldn't even see the inconsistencies in their own lives. And yet, here they are, about to put to death the Son of God. The next on the list of this drama would be Pilate. Pilate was representative of imperial Rome, the greatest power on earth. Pilate was a man to whom success was everything. So much so that he would not do 
what he knew was right to do, but for the sake of his own political success, he ended up allowing Jesus to be crucified, to die, even though he knew Jesus was an innocent man. Many times, Pilate said to the Jews, I find no fault in him. He's not guilty of anything. Should he really be put to death? And yet in the end, he conceded because his political career and his political success was more important. Of course, then there's Jesus himself, who's part of this, and no mere description will ever do Jesus justice, certainly. But these are the major players in the drama that's unfolding before us. This portion that we're considering here, it takes place in a couple of different locations. If you read through the text carefully, you find that some of this happens inside what's called the Praetorium or the Judgment Hall, where the Roman soldiers scourge and mock Jesus. The second scene, if you will, plays out on the portico outside in front of the Jews, where Pilate presents Jesus to the Jews, and he says, Behold the man. But then you get to scene three, if you will, and we're back inside the praetorium or the judgment hall where Pilate has this private conversation with Jesus regarding authority. And Jesus says, You wouldn't have any authority over me if it wasn't given you from above first. And then scene four back outside on the portico where Jesus is ultimately publicly delivered up for crucifixion. That's the scene playing out for us today that we're going to consider. The title of the message this morning is Behold the Man. Let's pray and then we'll begin and we'll ask the Lord to help us here today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us grace today and liberty to preach your word. And as we look at Jesus Christ, we behold him today. I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would grip hearts of those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you draw them today according to your will. And for those of us who are saved, who know and love Jesus Christ, I pray that our love for him would be increased as he is exalted in our minds and our hearts today as we behold him again. Lord, I pray that your will is accomplished, and we pray for your help today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's consider, first of all, uh, if you want to call it a scene, that's fine, but really what I want to look at is verses 1 through 3, and what we find in these verses is the soldiers mocking Jesus. Again, look at it with me. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him in a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. What we find happening here is, and, and for context's sake, we need to understand, is that, that Pilate has been trying to release Jesus. Pilate has found no fault in him, and Pilate's been trying to let him go. But he's very disappointed at this point because all of his attempts to set Jesus free have failed. We found that he tried to pawn him off to Herod, but Herod refused to take him in under his juris jurisdictional charge. And the people are calling for the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. If you go back to chapter 18 again, 
And look at verse 39. Let's go back to verse 38. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you uh, one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so here we find Pilate's attempts to release Jesus have failed. And the people are calling for the release of Barabbas, who was a criminal, rather than Jesus. And so Pilate attempts another play here. And he informs the people that what he will do is punish Jesus, and then he intends to release him and let him go. Go with me over to Luke chapter 23. Just keep your place here in John. But Luke chapter 23. And so keep in mind what the context here is. That Pilate has been trying to release Jesus, but the people are, are refusing and the people are giving him a hard time. In Luke chapter 23, in verse 13, the Bible says, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, have, I having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. And so here, Pilate says, you know what I'll do? Here's his second play. I'll, 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 I'll scourge him, I'll punish him, and then I'm going to release him. And that's what we find taking place in our text in John. So if you go back to our text here, the Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And so in Pilate's mind, he's going to scourge Jesus, he's going to punish him, and then he's going to let him go, and that's going to appease the people. I want to take just a minute, though, and think about some of the words that are used here so we get a good picture of what is going on. Because we could read right over these. The Bible says that Pilate took him and scourged him. A scourging was, you can maybe imagine some of it in your mind, but let's just get a little historical uh, view of what a scourging was. A scourging was a terrible, terrible punishment. Sometimes it was even deadly. It wasn't just a few stripes on a prisoner's back. Sometimes it was deadly. And I want to be too graphic here this morning, but I want to just understand, I want you to understand this. The whip that was used in a scourging was made of leather, and it was leather strands that would come off of it. And oftentimes, they would put shards of metal and shards of sharp bone on the, those leather straps and those leather strands. It was, it was done on purpose because it was meant to tear the flesh from a person's body. I was reading some about this. Historians like Eusebius and Josephus relate that scourging normally meant a flaying to the bone. It was brutal, it was ugly, and many times it was deadly. 
And Pilate thought, you know what, I'll punish him, I'll scourge him, and maybe that will appease the people. It'll be enough. What Pilate thought he would do, and this plan that he made up, was something that was actually prophesied concerning the Messiah. In Pilate's mind, it was something he was making up, but this was actually a fulfillment of the Scriptures. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 50, in verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Along with the scourging, the Bible tells us that they plucked out his beard. The Eastern people always held the beard in great veneration. And to pluck out a man's beard was one of the grossest indignities that could ever be offered up. So along with the scourging and the tearing of his flesh and the plucking out of his beard and the beating, all of that certainly wasn't meant to honor Jesus. It was meant to mock Jesus. The soldiers mocked him. You look at verse 2. The gruesome story continues. In verse 2, the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. In verse 2 and verse 3, we find that the soldiers beat him. We find that they put on him this purple robe. It's a mockery of royalty. He's the king of the Jews. Purple was the color of royalty. And so they put on him this purple robe. Oh, he's a king. He's a king. Hail, king of the Jews. Not only did they beat him, but they, the Bible says they put a crown of thorns on his head. This gruesome show continues on. As Luke tells us that they gave him a reed as a scepter and they would continually take the reed out of his hand and they would beat him with it. They put that purple robe on him and they would take turns pretending to bow before him and honor him and then they would spit on him. That crown of thorns, if you can imagine, those weren't the same kinds of thorns as Alaska wild rose bushes have. Those are annoying. They prick a little bit when you're walking through a field and they prick you and you're like, ah, that's not what this crown of thorns was. I saw some pictures of what they, of the kinds that indigenous to that area, the kinds of thorns, they would have been inch and a half to two inch spikes. And the Bible says that the, they, they wove together a crown to put on his head and they pressed it down inch and a half, two inch spikes into his head. The soldiers pressed that crown into his already bloodied head, certainly again not to honor him, but to mock him. We can't just read over some words. You need to understand something here. Because as we picture this scene before us, to me, it reminds me that Jesus took the abuse as a result of Adam's curse 
I'm transported back to Genesis chapter 3. In fact, let's go over there because in Genesis chapter 3, thorns are mentioned for the first time in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For from dust thou, thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Here is the first time that thorns are mentioned in the scriptures. And the thorns are mentioned in the context of the consequences of sin. After the fall of Adam and Eve, and after the fall into sin, God told Adam that he would work and he would labor for his food, and under the sweat of his brow would he eat his bread. And he also told Adam that you'll work and you'll labor for your food, but you're also going to compete with thorns. I imagine that there would have been times when Adam would have been out in his garden or his field trying to remove the weeds from his field, from choking out the seed and and, and, and to try to get the thorns out of his garden. And I would imagine that there probably would have been times when Adam reached in to pull something out and there was a prick from the thorn. And it probably reminded him of the fall and reminded him of the sin. And as we look at Jesus this morning, as we behold the man, as we behold Jesus, I'm reminded here again that Jesus wore the consequences of sin on his head. It wasn't his own sin, for he knew no sin. Wake up, pay attention. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the sinless Son of God. It tells us that he, he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How could you fall asleep? How could you be bored over the truth concerning the Son of God? How Jesus Christ bore our shame. He wore the consequences of your sin and my sin, not his own. He knew no sin. He became sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And as Jesus suffered, he suffered not for his own wrongdoing, but for my wrongdoing. And let me tell you something. The longer that I am saved, and the more that I understand what I am, the more thankful I am to Jesus Christ for what he did for me. And we fall asleep and we're bored over this truth. But we don't even look at ourselves and understand what we were before Christ entered in. Let me say this to you. 
it ought to remind us again that he paid the price for my peace so that I could know peace with God. He suffered in my place. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. You could say for my transgressions. He was beaten and wounded and torn for my transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid it on him when it should have been laid on me. Are you understanding this this morning? That Jesus suffered and he wore the consequences of your sin and mine. Go back to our text in John. And I want you to see the next set of verses, verses 4 through 7. So verses 1 through 3, we see Pilate making this play. He's trying to release Jesus. All of his attempts have failed. And so he says, you know what? I'll beat him. I'll, I'll scourge him. I'll punish him. And then I'll release him. And we get to verses 4 through 7. And what we find here is Pilate presenting Jesus to the people. In verse 4, the Bible says, Pilate therefore went forth again. So he comes out of the judgment hall, out onto the portico. And saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him. And crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Here we find Pilate presenting Jesus. And here we see that they move out into the light of the courtyard, where Pilate makes a bid again for Jesus' freedom. And Pilate presents Jesus to the people. And Jesus comes out. He's wearing the crown of thorns. The scourging has done its work. The flesh is torn from his body. His face is mangled from the beatings and the, and the crown of thorns on his head. The flesh of his back and his ribs is no doubt torn away. His face is swollen. His face is unrecognizable from the beatings and from the beard being plucked out of his face. It's what Isaiah 52 and verse 14 prophesied about concerning him, where the Bible says, as many were astonied at thee. It means astonished. They were shocked. His visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So imagine the scene in your mind. What takes place inside the people do not know. But Pilate says, I'm going to punish him, and I'm going to release him. 
And so the Bible says he was scourged. And you can we talked about it. You imagine all that took place inside. And Pilate finally comes out and he says, I'm going to bring, I want you to see him. I want you to see what I've done to him. Behold the man. And Jesus comes walking out unrecognizable. A bloody mess, a pulp. And the Bible says many were astonished at the astonished, shocked. His visage was so marred more than any man. You can imagine the people staring at what stands before them. And Pilate hopes that what they will feel is revulsion, but also probably some sympathy. And so Pilate shouts out, Behold the man! I looked up what that actually means. This cry that rings out through eternity, Behold the man! It literally means poor man or poor creature. In other words, he's saying in effect, Look what I've done. Look how he's bruised and torn. Haven't you hounded him enough? What a poor man. And yet, in saying, behold the man, Pilate is affirming more than he will ever, ever know. It's a call to reflect again on the incarnation. The man standing before them was God in the flesh. And this is what he looks like. And this is what he's done. God himself has stepped into his creation in order to redeem sinful men. But those sinful men rejected him and chose to stay in their darkness. In our text in verse 6, when the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, you take him, you crucify him then, because I don't find any fault in him. They chose to stay in their darkness when the man standing before them was truly the very Son of God. John chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us that Jesus was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Here's the creator of the world, God in the flesh. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. There's an application here. Pilate said to the Jews, Behold the man. But you're asked to behold him today, too. The form and the visage of Jesus Christ that is so marred more than any man. The form and the visage of Jesus Christ that the picture that we see is actually a drawing of love to humankind. 
It's the, it's a demonstration and a picture of how much God loves sinners, how much God loves people. And to see how much God loves you and me, we would follow Jesus all the way to the cross. We would follow him and hear him cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father would turn his back on his son because he became sin for you and me. Behold him. Look at him. What he suffered was not for his own sin, but it was for yours and mine. As you behold him, what will you do with him? John 1 and verse 12 says that as many as receive him, he came unto his own, his own received him not. The next verse says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The question I would ask this morning is, will you receive him by believing on him? Or will you reject him like the Jews? If you look in our text at the end of verse 6, The Bible says, Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. At the end of verse 6, we find that Pilate, Pilate realizes he has not raised any sympathy for Jesus at all in the minds of these people. The religious leaders have cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate says to them, you take him, you crucify him then, because I don't find any fault in him. Three times Pilate has judged Jesus not guilty. But then the Jews come back with one more argument in verse 7. And they said, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate hears what they have to say, and Pilate begins to understand the nature of why the Jews were offended. By the way, the Jews were offended unjustly. He didn't break any law. Jesus didn't break any law because he truly was the Son of God. So he didn't break any law. And his miracles prove that he was the Son of God. They, they viewed it, they saw it, they knew that no man can do what he did except he were of God. They knew it in their heart, except they refused to believe it. He didn't break any law. He really was the Son of God. But when Pilate hears and begins to understand the nature of why the Jews were offended, the Bible tells us in verse 8, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Pilate even knew in his own heart. It caused him to fear even more about what was to happen. That leads us to the next scene in this drama before us that's played out back in the praetorium. Look at verses 9 through 12, and here we find that Pilate talks privately with Jesus. 
Verse 8 says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. He's putting it back on the Jews. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. We're not going to take the time to consider all of this this morning. What we're going to find when we cover this is that Pilate ultimately gave in to his political success and his career. The Jews trapped him and the Jews reminded him, hey, you can be replaced, Pilate. You're not a friend of Caesar's. And Pilate started to internalize that on a temp temporal plane. And ultimately he gave in. And we find in verses 13 to 16 that Jesus was finally publicly delivered to be crucified. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. What we're going to consider and cover in this section is right at the very time that the priests were starting to prepare for the Passover, right at the very time is when Jesus was delivered up to be the Lamb of God, the payment for the sin of the world. So we'll finish up those sections next time, but I want to just close with this. We've been challenged to behold the man, the man Christ Jesus. Who is he? He's God in the flesh, come to dwell among men, born to die to redeem sinful men. And the question is, what will you do with him? The question is, have you been truly born again? Are you truly saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you understood your offense toward God because of your sin? When did you turn to God with a repentant heart over an understanding of how you're guilty before God and your only hope is Jesus Christ and what He has done? When did that happen in your life? And when with a sorrowful, repentant heart did you say, God, I know I deserve judgment and wrath and, uh, and condemnation and I can never pay my own sin debt, but I know Jesus Christ did it for me and I put my full trust and faith and he shed blood for my sin. When did you do that? When did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you're not saved this morning, you need to be. Behold the man. If you're here this morning and you're saved, 
behold him again. He's your Savior. Remember what he did for you. Love him. Commit your life to serving him. Because he's a wonderful Savior. Amen. Pick a place. Love him even more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word today to draw the hearts of men according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go.